Uh, midweek is so important to us, church. It's our time to plug in and connect with our church family and with God. And uh, I believe the Lord's going to speak to us in this place. Uh, when, when people get in the Old Testament, they act like they're bored to death. But I think it's because they read without understanding. If you just pick it up and you just start reading and you get in all these and so-and-so begat so-and-so and they, they did this and there was 14 kings later and you're like, oh, what in the world? Okay, and you just get through it. You're going to miss some things. But if you'll, if you'll read with understanding, it'll amaze you what God can speak to you about. So we came through Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of Trumpets, which for you and I, symbolically, we're looking forward to the last trump of the Feast of Trumpets when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. Whenever he's ready for that last trump, I'm ready to go. How many of you are ready for the coming of the Lord? Amen. I'm ready for that. Then the Day of Atonement. Now we are in uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so I've, I've told people for years. Now this is a special feast uh, for what I'm about to say to you. Because I've told people for years that if you want to know more about the coming of the Lord. Then you need to understand the feasts. And if you want to know more about Jesus Christ himself. You need to understand the tabernacle. Well this one is special because it's a feast of tabernacles. And uh, it's, it's very fun to study. Uh, the first time that we're introduced to the Feast of Tabernacles or also the Feast of Booths, however you want to call it, is in Leviticus chapter 23. Now, I want you to just kind of hang with me tonight. It's going to be easy for you at the beginning to get distracted uh, because I'm going to take you into the deep end of the pool just a little bit. I don't want anybody snoring in Greek and dreaming in Hebrew. But I'm going to take you just a little bit because I want you to see that God's plan was not an afterthought. God has been putting a plan together since the beginning of time that is so intricately detailed. And I want you to know something about God's plan. It's important for you to know this. You are a part of God's plan. I don't care how many people have told you you were an accident. I want you to know you are a part of God's plan. And God has a plan for your life. You are absolutely valuable to the plan of God. I don't believe in predestination as in the idea that uh, from the beginning you're either going to be saved or you're not going to be saved. I believe we have free will and I believe we have choice. But I do believe that you were predestined with the hand of God on you. That there is an empty space in your life that can only be filled with the goodness of the Lord. I believe that every man, woman, and child in this room tonight has the same need and the same hunger. Now, you're going to fill it with different things. That's why people search so hard in the supernatural realms. That's why people get involved in witchcraft and all kinds of craziness. It's because they're hungry for something deeper. But I want to tell you tonight that everything, this is what I'm about to say to you is biblical. Everything you'll ever need, you'll find it in Jesus. Colossians said in chapter 2 that the fullness of the Godhead dwelleth in Jesus Christ bodily and you are complete. Somebody say complete. complete. You are complete in him. If you're thankful for him tonight, I want you to just give the Lord thanks. Leviticus 23 and verse 33, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speak Unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. 
On the first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly and you shall do no servile work therein. Thank you. You may be seated tonight. So this is the seventh feast, the last and final feast of the fall. Uh, why does it matter to us, Pastor? Because I want something to be very clear. Although we are not observant as far as observant Jews, I want you to know that the feasts in the Bible are never referred to as the feast of the Jews. They are the feast of the Lord. What I just read to you tonight said that is going to be a feast of tabernacles for seven days, verse 34, unto who? Unto the Lord. Why does he put all this stuff in there? Why does it matter to us? I want you to know that he never stops speaking the kingdom language that he taught and was taught from the Old Testament all through the New. While Jesus was speaking and the Gospels were being written and, and then finally we get into the book of Acts and then the epistles were being written they didn't have a New Testament to preach from. They preached from the Old Testament. As the New Testament was being written, they taught them Jesus from the law and the prophets. They taught them Jesus from the Old Testament because he's on every page of every book. I believe you can find him everywhere you look in the scripture if you're looking for him. Now, this, uh, this feast of Sukkot, of the Feast of Tabernacles was given to Israel and they were to observe it from the 15th. Uh, you heard me talk about this month, the month of Tishri. This is not on the Gregorian calendar. This is the biblical calendar, the month of Tishri, from the 15th to the 22nd. Now, during this feast, and I'm not going to get lost in a whole bunch of goobly-goop tonight, but I want to tell you kind of the idea of what happens during the Feast of Tabernacles. Back several years ago, uh, my mother and dad and I, Brother Stephen, uh, Brother Lang, several were able to be in uh, Israel during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was very neat to see firsthand how they did things in Israel. As a matter of fact, on our way out of Jerusalem, we stopped in Tel Aviv. And we spent the evening with a family, a Jewish family in Tel Aviv, in their backyard, in their home, uh, during the Feast of Tabernacles. And they build what's called a sukkah, or just a little tent. It's a little... Uh, their little tent tabernacle, so to speak, in their backyard. There's a lot of rules about it that we're not going get, to get into. It can't be under a tree, and they got all this stuff that they talk about. You can decorate it with certain things and whatever, but it's a gathering place that is temporal where they are to eat meals together during the Feast of the Tabernacle and to discuss the Word of God. That's the basic principle. But the reason why they do that is the sukkah or the tent. Everybody say sukkah. So you know what I'm talking about for the rest of the night. This sukkah, this tent, it is to remind them of a temporary dwelling place. When they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, they didn't at every stop in the wilderness for 40 years build a new house. They didn't stop and erect a new house. They had tents with them and they were tent dwelling people. Why were they tent dwelling people? Because they were not going to live in the wilderness forever. Now, I could start preaching right here at the very beginning, and it is so powerful to me. 
But the Jewish people during the Feast of Tabernacles dwell in their sukkah and eat dinner with their families late into the night and they are to be reminded of a temporary dwelling place that they had in the wilderness. Why was it a temporary place? Because God had a promised land for them that they were going to. The wilderness is what they were passing through. I wish somebody would pick up what I'm putting down right here because there is a spiritual parallel where we are right now. Can I tell you from the old song we used to sing, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. During the Feast of Tabernacles, we are reminded of how futile we are, of how uh, sensitive we are, how easily we are broken. This house that we live in is just a temporary dwelling. This body that we live in, we exist and get older and older in aches and pains. And we realize it's just a temporary dwelling. But can I tell you tonight that on this night I recognize that this is not my permanent dwelling place. For God has created a place for us. And it may not excite you like it does me. But when we get there, brother, there will be no tears. There will be no more crying. No more dying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more abuse. I'm glad to tell you we're going to a city. The story of the Exodus is one of my favorite to preach because there's so much symbology, so many types and shadows of how Egypt represents the world. They came out of the world and they came into the dwelling, temporary dwelling place of the wilderness. And I find it very interesting how we forget, we forget that this nation, it's hard to believe that now, but this nation had a lot of God-fearing people in it before we even became a nation. There were people that came to this land in the 1600s that we call pilgrims. And I want to tell you something very interesting of how all this ties in together. This may astound you now. You won't find this in modern history because they don't even want to teach history in our schools anymore. But do you know that in 1621, when the pilgrims gathered to give thanks to the Lord for their harvest... There are many historians, especially Jewish historians, that believe that these pilgrims came and they, they modeled their celebration that we now call uh, Thanksgiving since, what, 1867, something like that, that it became an official holiday in the United States, 1863, something like that. They said that these pilgrims actually modeled their time of Thanksgiving for the harvest that they had after a biblical feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. They were grateful to God that the Lord had provided for them. And as they began to go back and look through history, it's astounding. Do you know that these pilgrims that landed on this place, uh, Pil- uh, 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 Plymouth Rock, and they, they start teaching all this stuff and talking all this stuff about Thanksgiving, as they went back and found artifacts, you know one of the most astounding things to me, they don't ever teach you about pilgrims that they found. They found with these pilgrims and things that they had left behind, 
They found writing in Hebrew. They found writings, tablets that they had that were written in Hebrew. And you'll never believe what they had written on there. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The devil doesn't want you to know this, but there's always been a remnant of people who believe that our God was one. The scripture is intertwined through history in so many ways. Now, I'm not, I'm not brave enough to step out and say that all the founders of this nation were necessarily godly men. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of things in there that were not very godly. But I do know this, they were God cognizant. Our, our early founding fathers at least understood scripture and they knew some things they knew that the church was never to be a part of a political movement. Now there's a lot of people that have misconstrued and misunderstood what was written in our constitution as far as separation from church and state. The world wants everybody to believe that the separation of church and state clause was to keep people from infringe, the church from infringing on the rights of people. But if you read... The original intention of the separation between church and state. You start in with people that are crazy left and liberal minded. They say, oh, no, I don't want to hear that separation of church and state. We're going to to take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. Separation of church and state. If you read the original intent, it was so that the people could not infringe on the church. Or in other words, the government could not infringe on the church. The separation of church and state was to keep the church protected from the state, not the state from the church. Because they had rebelled and had left the church of England because they didn't want any part of a church that was a political theocracy where people were ruling in dominion. Hey, somebody realized along the way that there's only one king that is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So some would say that what our nation needs is we need a revival of political correctness. We need a revival of strong politicians that know how to stand up and win elections. I'm telling you, what we don't need is another lying politician. What we do need is a recognition of who our great God is. If you think a politician is going to fix this country, you've missed it by a mile. You know what fixes nations? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he said, I'll heal their land. So it's powerful. That our early forefathers, even before the Declaration of Independence, even before we became a nation, there were people that understood the value of leaving Egypt. Am I making any sense to you right now? People have always understood the value of separating yourself from worldliness. And this is part of the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. That God brought them out of Egypt into a temporary dwelling, but he was leading them to a promised land. I wish I could get just about five or six people tonight that could get excited when we talk about going to a promised land. I can't wait. Now again, 
I'm, I'm going to move as quickly as I can because I don't want to take too much time digging into the Hebrew traditions and, and all that. But I, I want to take you a little deeper if I can tonight. There's a few relevant things that I want to touch on. I want everybody to stay with me really close here tonight. The best that we can tell in comparing scripture calendar, you know, dates can kind of get funny as we go through scripture. But if you pay attention, they're there. You'll see that in the month of so-and-so, in the month of Tishri, in the month of Elul, in the month of Nisan, all of these dates are in the Bible. And the best that we can tell, when Moses went up on the mountain for the second time for 40 days, we believe that he stayed on the mountain the second time for 40 days from the first of Elul till the 10th of Tishri. Okay, there's not going to be a quiz on this, but just stay with me. This is a... Powerful 40-day period of time of repentance that the, the Hebrew people called teshuva. It's the word that we still use for repentance and turning in the Hebrew language. It's true teshuva. It's not saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm changing. I wish so bad that we could... Properly in the 21st century church get a true idea of what repentance is a lot of people have made Repentance or teshuva. They've made it repeat this prayer after me And say lord, I know in my heart that i'm a sinner and I confess you with my mouth and I believe in my heart and I want you to be my savior Somebody say this with me tonight talk is cheap Talk is cheap It don't cost you anything to say that jesus christ is your lord and savior But it's going to cost you everything to live like he's your Lord and Savior. Because when you live like he's your Lord and Savior, he's not just the Savior that saved you from the world, but he's the Lord of everything in your life. In other words, he is first, foremost, and has preeminence over everything in your life. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that if God is anywhere but first in your life, then he is not your Lord. Now, again, I'm going to fast forward through some things, but when you get into Exodus 35 through the 40th chapter, we see that Moses descended from the mountain of God with a command that now not only are the people dwelling in a tent, Bishop, but that God wanted a tabernacle or a tent for him to dwell in. It was the temporary dwelling place of God. The tabernacle in the wilderness was literally God's sukkah. Okay? It was literally the dwelling place of God temporarily in the wilderness. Now we know later, and I'm going to get there in just a minute. We know later they built a temple that was a more established place where they said the glory of God would dwell and his presence would be there But God wanted to institute something through the power of his word with Moses and with the law. That if I'm going to bring structure and order in your lives in this wilderness that seems like chaos to you. I want my presence to be the center of everything that you do. And God divides up and I'm in fast forward mode right now. If you need more we'll talk about it later. But in fast forward mode. God begins to divide the people up into tribes. There was 12 tribes and all 12 tribes surrounded the tabernacle, the tent, the sukkah of God in the middle. Every tent door, every tent flap, when they opened it in the morning, it was in the direction of that tent, that tabernacle. And over the top of that tabernacle, there was a pillar of 
cloud by day and fire by night. That was the presence of God. And it began to manifest. Inside that little tent, there was an Ark of the Covenant. And on that Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels that looked over this small space. It was called the Mercy Seat. It was said that that was where the physical manifested presence of God dwelled. I believe that. And if you don't believe that, it leads to problems because Jesus Christ... In the New Testament makes atonement where the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Mercy personified. Mercy. Oh, God have mercy. I can't get stuck here. Mercy in the flesh makes atonement and puts blood on the mercy seat for you and I. I I, I don't want to lose you right here. But this tabernacle was the place where God would dwell. It was a very powerful place it was the place where the priesthood was established and the priest would run through why does that matter to us because we have a high priest that can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities how many of you believe that how many of you are thankful that he was not only king of kings but he was priest now this feast of tabernacles is very interesting because In contrast to Yom Kippur, which just happened, the Feast of Atonement, that's very solemn. It's very sober. uh, It's very kind of quiet. There's fasting. There's there's 10 days of all. There's uh, it's like lamenting time to go through repentance, teshuva. All this is transpiring. But the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast of great joy. Somebody say great joy. joy. Lord, if I could preach this, it's going to be a miracle. In fact, joy is the predominant feature and predominant factor of the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is the third of annual traveling pilgrimage feasts for all the land of Israel. It was the place uh, and the time that every male, it was said that every male in Israel was to appear before the Lord in the place that he chose, the place that God chose. They were to come to Israel. So I'm going to walk you through the three pilgrimage feasts very quickly. The Passover feast is a planting season. Pentecost is wheat harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles is the time where the fruit was harvested. And when all the harvesting was complete, the Bible said that there was great joy, or King James said rejoicing. During the Feast of Tabernacles, we're not worried anymore about what we planted. We're not worried anymore as to whether or not there's going to be a harvest. Now they're in a season where they realize everything we planted, every seed that has been sown... God was faithful and God sent the rain when the rain was needed. What are you saying, pastor? I'm telling somebody tonight that's got a permanent worry wrinkle on your forehead because you're wondering if God is really going to come through. Let me tell you, God controls the wind and God controls the rain and God controls the season. Pastor, what are we going to do if the harvest doesn't come? I'm here to tell you that the law of the harvest is in the soil God put it in the soil on the third day and he said whatever kind of seed is planted that's the kind of harvest that you're going to get pastor help me understand okay I'm glad that you want to know tonight because we have sown in tears and we have sown the word and we have
have sown in worship and we have sown in prayer and God is about to send a harvest of prayer warriors and evangelists and pastors and teachers. When the harvest season was over, there was much, much rejoicing. It was a joyous occasion. But what does it really, really, I mean, what does it have to do with the church age? Now, I was studying this earlier today, and I knew right here I was going to have trouble, but I got to tap the brakes. I got to tap the brakes, and I want you to get this. So the first of the three great feasts that I just told you about, the Passover, if we begin with the three pilgrimage feasts, the first of the three annual feasts spoke in presentation of the first sheaf of the founding of the church. Somebody say the founding. The second, the second feast, Pentecost, had to do of its harvesting when the church in its present state, and I I, I preach this, but it should be presented as two leavened wave loaves. I preached some time ago about the second loaf in this church on Pentecost Sunday. It was a powerful season That second feast of Pentecost. That's why everybody was in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this is when leaven is introduced. In other words, life comes in. It's the two loaves, one for the Jews and one for the Gentiles. It's so powerful. It's the keys of the kingdom. Somebody say the keys. keys. Pentecost was the second feast in the church age. But the third, the third, this powerful feast of tabernacles It points forward in the direction of full harvest. Now, I need somebody to shout this with me right now because it's important. Somebody say, full harvest. harvest. Isaiah 25 and 6 said, In this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things. Now, what's he talking about? Let's go on down to verse 8 for the sake of time. It said, where he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. Does that sound familiar to anybody? This is the feast of celebration after the harvest is completed. Isaiah said there is coming God have mercy. He said there's coming a day in the mountain of God that he's going to wipe away tears from their eyes and he's going to swallow up death in victory. It's going to be a feast of fat things. Can I tell you, I believe that we are entering into the greatest season of harvest that we have ever seen. But when the harvest is over, I don't know how else to tell you this, but there shall be rejoicing. When the harvest is finished, there will be no more tears. When the harvest is over, I love this. In verse 9, it said, it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. Look at this. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited from him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, when we look at the Feast of Tabernacles from the spiritual perspective, and I wish I had time to go more into the depths of this, but i got to hurry. When we look at it from a spiritual perspective, this is what we see as three main ideas that the Feast of Tabernacles was for. Number one, the Jewish people 
rejoiced that their sins had been forgiven during atonement. Okay? Is there anybody here that's glad your sins have been atoned? Are you glad you've been redeemed? Pastor, I wish you'd preach something more relevant. I'm telling you, there's nothing more relevant than being redeemed. So the first reason that they had joy is because their name was written in the book. Did you ever hear Jesus teach that? Yes, you did. Master, we cast out devils today. He said, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The second thing that it does is they rejoice because they realized God's provision and His presence during the time of Exodus. Oh, if I had about 10 hours tonight, I'd like to preach to you just about the power of His presence and His provision. Do you understand, folks? I know it's just a book to some people. I know to some folks it's just text on paper. Can you imagine for 40 years, there wasn't a day that went by that they went without. There wasn't a day that went by. God kept his own laws for six days of the week. They had to get just enough for every day. And he said, if you go to getting rotten in here and you act like you're spoiled rotten, he said, you go to taking too much and you get selfish, he said, it'll spoil before you can eat it. Because when they first came out, he said, I'm going to take care of you. But you need to understand, when it comes to the blessings of God, you don't have to hoard them all for yourself. There's enough of God to go around. There's enough of God. Man, I wish somebody would get this right here. I'm trying to preach a principle to you. There's enough of God to be a blessing in your house and in your house. And the Bible said that for six days, they would gather up for the first five. They would gather up enough for one day. But on that sixth day, the Lord said, tomorrow will be a day of rest. And there was a miracle every week. He said, on this day, you can take a double portion. On this day, you can fill your house with a double portion. Because now you're going to understand that not only am I enough for you and enough for your neighbor, but I'm enough for what tomorrow brings. I am more. More than enough. I've come to tell you tonight. He's not just the God of yesterday. And he's not just the God of today. He's the one that was. The one that is. And the one that is to come. I don't know how people read this and don't see him. You know, I, I, I can't get stuck here. You know the, the, the scripture. I preached this, I think, Sunday. The scripture actually says that the rock that had water flowing from it, where they all drank from, it said that rock was Christ Jesus. He was the bread from heaven. He was the rock in the wilderness. He was the fire in the bush. Oh my God. He was the cloud over the tabernacle. He was the pillar of cloud by night. He was the presence over the mercy seat. What are you saying, Pastor? He's everywhere. 
He said, I'm going to send my angels into the promised land. Before you ever get there, my angels are waiting on you. You mean they stood there and waited for 40 years? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. They stood there and waited until God said, go in. Why? Because as they crossed the Red Sea, the Bible said that he went behind them where their past was, that he was a pillar over them, and that his angels waited on them in the promised land. He's got your past covered. He's got your present covered. And God's got your future taken care of. David had this same revelation. He said, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Pastor wants you to know tonight, when you're having a hard time, just look behind you. Because goodness and mercy are there. When you don't know what tomorrow brings, just know there's a table that's set before you in the presence of your enemies. David had him in every line. I, I don't have time to preach it, but David had him there. I hope I'm not losing y'all right here. David had, he said, thy rod, thy staff. Right hand, left hand. There's a table in front of me. What do you mean a table? He's the bread of life, brother. He's that rod. He's that staff. He's that table before him. He's the presence behind him. God has got you covered. And this was the second thing they had to realize. His presence and his provision. Now, folks, I'm not here tonight to just preach on giving. But I want you to understand something about God's plan. You can't mess his plan up. Listen, I, I probably don't preach it enough because some of you get it and some folks will never get it. I, I just, I'm not saying that to be ugly. Some folks will never get it. I've had p- people look at me and say, man, I, I don't make enough. I can't afford to pay my tithe. When you get the revelation, you can't afford not to pay. And, and, and maybe I ought to be careful how I say that because I don't believe I pay my tithe. I believe I return my tithe and I give my offering. I return my tithe back to God because I'm saying I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. I, I, I want to be careful because I don't know who will watch this. but Recently I was, I, um, I've, I've been very busy in pursuit of a couple things and I'm in the process right now of, of getting a couple of different uh, things in aviation where I'm, I'm commercial and all that I'm not going into it but I had a uh, representative that met me one day and we were supposed to be doing this big ordeal for the next thing and the short version of this story is that that day at the airport that day at the airport uh, as we were going through some stuff this guy basically shortchanged me and took $600 of my money and just walked out with it. And $600 is $600, you know. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know what to think about that. You know, I was frustrated. And I said, well, you know what, God? I'm not about to chase this dude around and act like a fool. I said, God, I'm faithful to you. My family gives. We pay our tithes. We take care of everything. And, folks, I'm not lying to you. Within 24 hours... Of that shyster taking $600 of mine and walking out of the office with it. I walked in the house and I had received an envelope with $600 in it. I mean, to the dime. And I could just hear that old song, If I Hold My Peace. 
I'm trying to teach y'all some principles up in here tonight. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. God is faithful. Oh, God. His provision, there's nothing like it. But whenever God starts providing, we get awful funny. And I can't get hung up here. I'm, tr- I'm trying to keep full throttle going tonight. But the Bible said they got sick of the manna. Does anybody here know what manna means, the word manna? What is it? Some say it had like coriander and several different things. And some say it had like a sweet taste. And some of them just make this up. The scripture just says it was from heaven. It was food from heaven. And some say that that word manna, what is it, what that comes from, means actually that it tasted different to everybody. Oh. Oh, man, if I could preach this tonight. It tasted different to everybody because God knew what everybody needed. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I go old-fashioned on you right now? He's been my brother. He's been my sister. He's been my mother. He's been my father. He'll be your lawyer. He'll be your banker. He'll be your teacher. He'll be a prophet. He'll be a friend. He may taste a little different to you, but he's whatever you need. Is it 8.30 yet? Y'all ready to go? Oh, Lord, help me tonight. I don't even know what time I started. Y'all might be in trouble, but I'm hurrying. So it reminded them of God's provision and His presence. I don't even have time to preach about His presence. But I do want you to understand that there is a difference in God being present and His presence. God is everywhere. Your Bible said that he is omnipresent. God's everywhere. That just means he's everywhere. But we can all agree that there are times when it just feels sweeter. I know he's there. He was absolutely everywhere at all times. But I've also had times when I'm driving down the street. And I don't have time to start with our Father who art in heaven. Sometimes the only thing I've got time for, Sister Lorraine, is just say, Jesus. And I've watched cars turn out of the way. I've seen things that I should have hit just move out of the way. Because His presence. Brother Mike and I, I wish I had time to tell the story like he does. So powerful. He was getting ready to pass a car. And he heard this voice say, don't do it. If I'm lying, you can tell him. I'm going to get close. You're the storytelling man, Big Daddy. He started to pull out, because he, not that he's impatient. He said, he started to pull out and pass, and he heard this voice say, don't pass, don't do it. So he, he slowed back down for just a second, and as they went forward, this man came by, or child, whatever, came by on a bicycle that he could not see. If he would have pulled out and went around, I'm talking about his presence. His presence. I'm talking about when that baby's sick in the middle of the night and fever's on their brow. God's there. But when you invite him in, 
in the name of Jesus, upon the authority of your word, with your stripes we are healed. And all of a sudden, his presence... Folks, I felt him in the hospital room. I felt him in the school room. I felt him in the room of my house. I felt him in this room here tonight. I am thankful for the presence of the Lord. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. And and last but not least, the third thing that it reminded them of is that God is still present and able to meet their needs. So it reminds him that they are forgiven, that God has taken care of them, and that God will take care of them. Now we're going to fast forward. But when the temple was built, and the temple was still in Jerusalem, I'm I'm going to hurry as quickly as I can. If you start reading different historians about temple times, you realize that the Feast of Tabernacle festivities were a Big deal. I'm talking about a big deal. The temple was grand. It was huge. A lot of gold, a lot of silver. It was a big deal. So they felt like their God was a big deal. And so during the Feast of Tabernacle, you you have to understand why it was such a big deal to them. Because when they came out of Egypt into the tabernacles in the wilderness, they were waiting for the day that they would be in Jerusalem. So now they're in Jerusalem and the temple is in Jerusalem. And so now they're not just celebrating what they came through. They're celebrating, I came through it and I made it. Oh, God. Somebody shout that. I made it. it. Did you have a season where you felt like you wouldn't? Man, I know I'm preaching to somebody in here right now. Did you think at the time you were going to lose your mind? Did you think at the time you weren't going to make it? But tonight you're looking back on it saying, thank God. Why do you worship like you do? Why do you dance like you do? Why do you shout like you do? If you could have seen what he brought me through. Their festivities rejoice in the fact we're not slaves in Egypt anymore. And we're not stuck in a wilderness anymore. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm hurrying. Now, it it was... (laughs) This is crazy. It was elaborate festivities. And the ceremonies that I don't, I don't have time to go into all of it, but I'm going to tell you there were two elements. There were two elements that symbolized the presence of God during the Feast of Tabernacles. They would, they would do these symbolic things, and these were the two elements. It was water and light. Everybody say water. God And light. They represented the presence of God. Now, I certainly don't want to bore you here, but you have to see this. At the temple, the high priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam, which they have now found. It's in the city of David. And the priest would go to the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher. Oh, God have mercy. He would then bring the water through the water gate. And he would take the golden pitcher. Everybody say the golden pitcher. And he would pour it into a silver basin. Golden pitcher, silver basin. I'm going to throw you a Hebrew word right here that you don't have to remember, but just know what it is. As he would come through, the people would wave their lalu vote. Okay? This is a 
This is a beautiful little bouquet that's put together of palm and myrtle and willow branches. They got palm branches, willow branches, myrtle branches. And as the water comes through the water gate and is poured out. Oh, God have mercy. I hope somebody's seeing what's going on here. They began to wave their branches and give God praise. Does anybody remember when the water that would make you thirst no more came riding through the gate? And people just started grabbing branches. Hosanna! 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 Blessed is he who cometh. In the name of the Lord. So the high priest is walking through the water gate. And the people are, they're they're, they're taking their lulav and they're they're praising and they're waving unto the God uh, of heaven and earth. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as they were waving, this was the prayer that they would say. Save now, I pray, O God. Save now and send prosperity. And the high priest would begin to quote Isaiah 12. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. The golden pitcher represented the glory of God. While the silver represented the purity and the righteousness of God. Which can only come from the salvation of God. In Isaiah 12, the very next verse, the third verse. I want you to notice what it said. Therefore, with joy. Shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. Now this is the interesting thing you've got to know about the beauty of the Hebrew language. That this word salvation right here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Which is the same Hebrew word that's used for the name of Jesus. When you read it in context, it says it just like this. That God is my Yeshua. God is my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water from the wells of Yeshua But when Jesus came and he sat down at the well with a woman And said give me a drink She said do you know who I am He said ma'am apparently you don't know who I am Because I can give you a drink from a well that will never. Hey, Isaiah knew it was coming. Isaiah said he's coming. Yeshua is coming. I'm I'm hurry. Oh, God. Now, why why is this important, Pastor? Why do you keep studying this? Because I got to look in rabbinical tradition. And rabbinical tradition teaches this. It's so powerful. Rabbinical tradition teaches that the water drawing ceremony, when they would draw it out in the golden pitcher from Siloam and they would dump it out, that the water, uh, the water drawing ceremony was more than just simply a request for rain in due season. They said, in our opinion, it was to illustrate the days of messianic redemption when the waters of the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the flesh of Israel. 
But if you want to know what Jesus thought about this and how he fulfilled it, you got to get in John chapter 7. Have I lost you yet? Are you still with me? You got to get in John chapter 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, what feast? The Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me has the scripture. What scripture? I believe he was talking about Isaiah 12 and 3. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, I I want you to stay in the Bible, Pastor. I don't really want to know what the rabbis thought. I know the rabbis said they thought it was about the Spirit of God coming. But I want to know what's the Bible say. Well, John answered that question in the very next verse. Jesus talks about rivers of living water. But John said this in the very next verse, in verse number 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus stood up in front of those people and he said, you've been looking for a drink and I am the drink. You... <laughs> what are you saying? I'm saying literally that when the Spirit of God came and lives within us, this is not virtually. Where's my girls? This is where we use the word literally. That's like the, that's the slang word, Sister Darla. Everything they say, it's literally, literally, literally. When you receive, oh man, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. When you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you are literally experiencing Emmanuel. God with us. (laughs) Well, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't really know, Pastor. I'm still kind of hung up on it. Listen, listen. When you stay in that seventh chapter and you keep reading, I don't think that's what he meant. Well, everybody there knew exactly what he meant. Because when you keep reading in the seventh chapter, you get in 37 through 38, it made folks really uncomfortable. The rulers got frustrated when the temple guards refused to arrest Jesus. But the guards were not about to touch him. I loved it because when you get to verse 46, they're trying to talk the, 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 the temple guards into arresting him. And you get to verse 46, Bishop, and they said, Never! <laughs> Never has a man spoke like this man. There is nobody that we've ever heard that was able to say that I am the fulfillment of the promises of the word of God. Nobody has ever spake like this man. They said, well, we don't, we don't, we don't really like it, but, but it, it's funny because then Nicodemus, in verse 52, Nicodemus, who was the one that came to him by night, is what your scripture said, Nicodemus spoke up and he said, well, you know, uh, uh, he, he said, I, I, I think there's something good going on here. And, and it ticked them off and they said, there ain't no prophet that's going to come from Galilee. Now, I don't want to lose you. I'm almost done. Come on. I don't want to lose you. I'm almost done. But the only way they could say this at all, Brother Jordan, is to completely, 100% neglect Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Because when you get in Isaiah chapter 9, now we like 9 and 6. People say it's a Pentecostal candy stick. We don't have nowhere else to go. No, you can just go to any page you want to. Because you get in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. They said, nevertheless, dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. 
when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations, or uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, okay? But when you go to the very next, uh, 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 the very next verse, in verse number 3, he said, Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. What, what, was, what was this whole feast about, the joy? They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Pastor, I'm a little bit lost. Let me tell you what you're lost in. You're lost in the King James language because I'm going to show you something powerful. I've, I'm King James from the top of my head to the soles of my feet when we're teaching doctrine. But anybody in here ever read the message? I just like to read and see what Eugene says about it. I'm not preaching this doctrine. I'm going to show you what he said. He said, there will be no darkness for those who were in trouble. Early did he bring the, the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali into disrepute. But the time is coming when he'll make the whole area glorious. The road along the sea, the country past the Jordan, international Galilee. Watch this now. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in the land of deep shadows, light and sunbursts of light. Those that lived in the shadow of death, he said, there's going to come great light. I told you there's two things in this feast. It was water. Anybody remember what the second one was? And light. Water and light. So watch me. In John chapter 8, in verse number 12. Why is this verse so important to us? Because when you read about the times of the temple, the scripture said that the rabbis in the priesthood, they would call the Feast of Tabernacles by a different name. They called it the Feast of Lights. Because in the evening time, Brother Snow, they, would, they had four different 75-foot menorahs, candlesticks, huge. And they would light those so that all the city could see the light, even to Galilee. <laughs> that all the world would see the light. That was emanating from the temple of God. And the scripture said that they would dance through the night. And they would sing songs of praise. Because the light had come. Now Jesus said that he was the water. But in John 8, he spake unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me. You remember the prophetic word in Isaiah? To them that live in darkness. He said then that he that follows me shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light. Do you know why this matters to me? Because I'm not just living in a land. Hoping that someday my hope will come. There's still people to this night, if you want to get online, they're in bed right now, but if you want to get online tomorrow and take a look at the Western Wall, there's thousands, thousands during the Feast of Tabernacles. They're going to get up to that wall, and you know what they're going to be praying? Come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah, come Messiah. When are you coming? When are you coming? And you know what we're saying? Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Thank you that you came. I'm here to tell you right now that he is the water of life and he is the light of the world. I'm grateful tonight that Messiah has come. Let's stand together. I, I, 
I've been preaching for too long. In John chapter 7, the scripture said that Jesus' brothers wanted him to go up to Judea to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with them. It says it specifically. But Jesus said to them in verse 6, he said, my time's not yet come. He said, your time's always ready, but my time has not yet come. He said, the world cannot hate you in verse 7, but it, it hates me. Because I testify of it that the works of the world are evil. He said, so you go up to the feast. I go not up to the feast, for my time has not yet come. Remember, I've taught to you that Jesus wouldn't do anything openly in relationship to the feast unless he was fulfilling something. And so we find a very interesting concept that Jesus is fulfilling a powerful, a powerful part of this when we get in John chapter 1, and I, and I don't have time to go into it, but in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And we go all the way down in a hurry to verse 14 that said that the Word was made flesh and dwelt. Somebody say dwelt. The word dwelt is the same word as tabernacled. He tented, he dwelt among us. Jesus was fulfilling, literally fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles the first time that he came. But is he finished yet? Is he finished yet? And has it all been fulfilled? And I want to point you, if I may tonight, to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. When John said this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. So who was the word made flesh? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because John, the same one that told us in John chapter 1 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He said, when I got to Revelation and I saw that heavenly throne, he said, I saw again that God had tabernacled it. And God, God himself, not God themselves, God himself. Shall be among us. Let us pray. God, I could never tell you enough how grateful I am for your provision and your presence. God, I'm asking you tonight that somehow this word that you have put in my spirit would minister to your church. Lord, I know tonight we jumped in a little deep, but I pray that somebody somewhere, God, could see between the lines and that your word would come alive to them in the name of Jesus. God, speak in this room to let somebody know they can never run too far, that you cannot find them. They can never be so low that your mercy could not reach them. You're not only the God that was, but you're the God that is. And you're the God that will be. And we honor you and we praise you and we lift you up. For you alone are glorious. In the mighty name of Jesus, let the church say amen. If you weren't bored out of your mind tonight, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Praise God. Amen. I want you all to shake hands and be friendly tonight.
Let everyone know you're glad to see them in the house of the Lord.